everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is we bring the school teacher with the soccer mom and the cowboy, and we discuss things that are going to happen once we arrive at the Ohio Science Review. Jenny Swaggart, for, is this your first day teaching FFA? Um, no, this oh, is my fourth solo day, and I've been in and out of the classroom for the last few weeks. Oh, okay. Trying to be trained. It's it's the first day joining us on roll route from the yes. classroom. That is setting correct. In, setting yes, in for sir. the AWOL FFA advisor for the next few months. Well, she just had a baby, a beautiful little girl. And so the school had asked if I would step in and help out because they were having difficulty finding someone with an ag background. And so I put some projects on hold and here I am. I think and that's timing. I brought one of my dearest friends, Kristen Patterson, and she and I have, gosh, we've traveled the world together. But I noticed earlier this week that she had attended like a workshop or a meeting to discuss how their apples are going from the tree at the orchard or farm to retail. And I thought, hey, that would be a really interesting thing to learn. But I do have one question for Kristen before she tells us about that. It's a very, very important question. Is it true and can you verify that an apple a day keeps the doctor away because there's a lot of people who'd like to have the doctor stay away at this moment. Well, you know, I eat an apple a day and I'm pretty healthy, so I would confirm that. Right. That's all I need. That's all the evidence I need right there. <laughs> Welcome, Kristen. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank and, you. And uh, for the radio audience, you can't see it, but we can see that she is multitasking, driving down the road, won't be safely. watching us. Yeah, safely. <laughs> hands-free and joining us on the air. So thank you for doing that. And you have some farmers in the back seat. I do guys. You want to wave? I've got my son Parker and his partner. They are both uh, farm kids at heart skipping school today. It's okay. The school knows you can't call your kids in sick anymore, right? Like they're not coming to school today because they have a cough. Well, now it's like, you can't say that. So uh, they got official approval to be attending the farm science review today. So they're going to, walk around and check out all the exhibits today. So they're pretty pumped. They've got their chocolate milk and their snacks and they're thrilled. And and furthermore, they'll learn more than if they were at school. Unless of course they had Jenny Swaggart as their FFA advisor. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully. I don't know about that. (laughs) I've got big shoes to fill here. Why are you going to Ohio Science Review? So today I am volunteering in the Ohio Shorthorn Breeders Association. The kids have a couple shorthorn heifers. And so I am volunteering there today. Good friends of ours have cattle on display. And I'm going to be spending my day there. So it'll be fun. So it's if a it doesn't show. Rain more. Is it kind of it's like farm the progress. equivalent it is. of, oh, okay. I was thinking scale, like Louisville. No, it's farm products. Yeah, it's an outdoor outdoor trade show, equipment dealers. I mean, anything and all thing, um, farm equipment. But it's also field demonstrations. Um, the university has their experimental fields out there in London. And so they do a lot of demonstrating. And um, like Ohio Farm Bureau has a building. A lot of the different commodity organizations have buildings. 
um, just to showcase all things Ohio. And it's through the Ohio State University. So go Buckeyes. Which is awesome place. And I have had the fortune to visit and tour the dairy facility and be there in college on dairy judging team. There, there's nothing good about the Ohio State University. <laughs> I can't even say that much about our football team. We didn't do so well last week, but this week we got it. So. Oh, okay. yeah. Hey, hey, let's just talk about that for a moment. Didn't you lose the first ever in like 40 years at a home football game last week? We That's did. Fun. Not a not a great day for us, Buckeyes, but we'll see. You can tell I just love the Buckeyes. You do. Worthless, I can tell. Worthless nuts that they are. <laughs> we are little nuts. <laughs> nuts for Brutus. What else are you? Because you have recently gone from being a sheep farmer and mm-hmm. cattle and That's chicken nice. and turkey. And yeah. now you have added... An entire apples, yeah, apples produce. and I've gone from livestock to produce. Yeah. So fill us in on that. So it's been really fun. You know, I have a complete, I mean, I had a garden, right? Like I raised tomatoes and vegetables and I love to make applesauce. And so Bill's family, um, I married Bill Patterson. Bill is the president of Ohio Farm Bureau now. So that's exciting. And um, his family has a seventh generation fruit, fruit farm where they raise apples and peaches and strawberries and they have a wedding venue and it's really like Hallmark. I mean, it's funny. Like I say, say that, but it kind of is like a Hallmark land. Um, It's very fun for people to come in the fall. They have a fall family fun fest where about 45,000 people will come and play outside. But it's all, yeah, it's all geared towards education. Um, His parents, when they started the fun fest, um, they wanted people to be able to come and play like we all did as kids on the farm. So there's combines and tractors and just free imaginary play, um, straw mazes and corn mazes and all the things we did as kids, probably not very safely. Um, they can do it in a safe manner, um, all incorporating education on the farm, too. So it's very fun. I have had a steep learning curve because I do a lot of oh, I do all of the social media and, um, so I've had to learn a lot really fast. That's why I told Bill, who wants to hear me talk about apples, uh, today? And he's like, I do. Time. So mm-hmm. hopefully I don't misquote anything, but with that has come a lot of other opportunities, partnering with grocery stores and really sharing with the public where our food comes from. And, um, in this particular instance, partnering with the local grocery store chain Heinen's, um, to talk about how the apples get from the field, um, into the grocery store. So this week was really fun. Um, that I got to learn exactly how that happens. What What is, uh, I'm curious, as someone who's been involved in agriculture probably your entire life, you said you learned so much in your steep learning curve, but what's the one thing about a different food item that just hits you like, wow, I can't believe that, or I didn't know that, or the one aha moment? So I say the biggest difference for me is our livestock need us, right? Like multiple times a day. They need fed, mm-hmm. they need water, they need care. You know, these apple trees and these peach trees, I, I thought they just grow, right? Like they have it pretty easy. They don't have to go do chores. They just, you know, watch these trees grow. Um, but there really is a lot of care and maintenance that goes into growing fruit. There's a lot of regulations, safety regulations, health protocols. Um, and then I didn't really know how to run a market. I mean, it's, they have a year round market where they're selling produce and vegetables. So um, it's just been a lot of interesting facts, um, how they care for the trees and when they plant strawberries and when they prune 
And, um, and then really t- telling like, when is this apple actually ready? Because it might look ready on the tree, but the starch levels might not be ready. And dealing with people is just interesting. You know, I've done that my whole life in agriculture. But when you are working daily for a customer to come and buy your product, um, it really kind of changes things because we see them on a daily basis. And when they want their apple, they want their apple variety now. And when they can't pick it, they don't understand why. <laughs> so, um, what do you mean you see them? You see the same people on a daily basis or you have people well, I every see day? The, I see the customer on a daily basis at the mm. market. So they're coming okay. in. Well, why is our, why do we not have this Honeycrisp apple this week? You know, why? Uh, or the best one yet is they call us to see if we're picking apples in the middle of March. Right. Um, so that connect, you know, that I knew was there, the disconnect that was there. Um, it's just really confirmed. Um, but I knew nothing about the planting of, of trees and strawberries and all those types of things. So it's been fun. And people ask a lot of questions and I don't know the answer to a lot of questions. So, um, you know, I have to find things out really fast. I, I think that in 21 years of attempting to educate people about where, who and how produces their food, that's still the biggest aha moment for me is that people have are so we talk about the disconnect, but the disconnect really comes to a head. When people go to the grocery store and they have strawberries there, fresh strawberries there in Mm -hmm. February, March in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. And they don't think about that there is a season that strawberries are produced in the United States and that you can't get those 52 weeks a year. We've made so many massive steps in progress in terms of making that food available every week that people don't know that that's just the way that it is. Right. We are so fortunate here in America. And I know we we really know that, but I don't think you know that until you travel to a different country and you see that we have all these options and other countries Mm -hmm. don't have those options. Or when someone comes to our market, they want those strawberries and it's August and our strawberry season was in June and they don't seem to understand. Well, what do you mean you don't have strawberries? Um, Well, how does the grocery store have strawberries? And I think that's one of the things I find um, the most. I know, right? The the most interesting for me is, is talking about a small farm. Yes, we can provide food to our community, but we need traditional agriculture to feed the world. And I know that's kind of a thing we don't like to say anymore, feeding the world. But we do have to worry about our growing population and how we are going to feed all these people. And so I think it's impressive, all the different technologies and resources that we have, that we can still feed our local community, but yet um, eat strawberries year-round. And Thanks with that, that model, apples. I, yeah, don't forget the apple a day keeps the doctor away. KarenStaley.com to get the album with the four songs from the Arise USA tour, God Save the Cowboy. Clearly my favorite, KarenStaley.com. It's only 20 bucks. We'll be back with more Kristen Patterson, Jimmy Swaggart after this. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Loose alongside Mrs. Swaggart. Jenny Swaggart checking in from the <laughs> classroom, Kristen Patterson who's now going 15 miles an hour or not. Now it looks like, oh, no. There's I'm still, stopped. You're stopped. I'm stopped. Yeah. I'm, I'm about to move. Jenny, what are you yes. learning in the classroom as the teacher? So this, I have intro to ag class. I have two intro to ag classes. And we um, began in our food science unit of those intro to ag classes, we have started by learning about supermarkets and how supermarkets work. And we watched this incredible video, Modern Marvels, How Do Supermarkets Work? And some of it I had already known from trips and experiences that we've been on. Um, But just to 
look at how everything is processed and how the technology has come along. And, you know, truck drivers, they they have a computer system and the computer system keeps track of, you know, and it, and it tells them what they should have on their truck, how much they should have on their truck, how long it's going to take them to get there, how long the refrigeration process um, will get them from point A to point B if they have a breakdown so that they know, hey, we need to get another truck to come and rescue. Um, and then just the automation, it, it's really interesting, you know, Trent and I, we talk a lot about how history re repeats itself. And in the 1930s, people did not go to grocery stores and shop like we have in the last, you know, few decades or many decades. Lately, we've started, though, using ordering systems, right? At Kroger or Walmart or Schnucks, places like that. And then you go and you pick up your groceries. Well, that's how it was. That's how grocery shopping was before the 1930s. So it's just very, very interesting how we have repeated history and we continue to. I had no idea that you would, you know, walk in the store, drop off a list. The people that own the store, the owners would fill that list and then tell you when that list was ready. I I'm all about that in. one. Uh, that, that works for me because I can't go find that stuff anyway. <laughs> it is so crazy how before pre-COVID, I would have other like friends' husbands like find me in the store to go help them locate different items oh. that their wives had sent them there for. Yeah. But so I mean, Kelly can send you at the list, but then you got to call her and say, where is that at in the store? We'll go over there to the vegetables and then take a left. And it's right next to the Halloween stuff. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. They moved the Halloween stuff last night. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, another, another um, technology that Safeway, which we don't have those in the Midwest. I believe they're mostly on the West Coast and then in the, I don't know, southwestern area of the country, but they actually are using a technology where they put an iPad on their grocery cart. And so they're like scanning things as they go so that everything is already kind of calculated once they get to that checkout process. It's, it's very interesting. Very interesting. That would make it faster at the end for sure. Right. That's the part I hate is waiting in line to check out my groceries. Ugh. Of all well, and then grocery shopping, you want to get our, out of it. Artificial intelligence is coming into play, and we stopped that particular video right as they were about to teach us about when you put an apple on the checkout, if you're going through a checkout process rather than having the iPad with you the scanner can recognize without using the UPC code that it's an apple. It's incredible. Technology is yeah. impressive. I'm not yeah. excited about that. I got to tell you, I want to tell you, I, I want to tell the, I want to tell the computer, this is an apple. I don't want the computer to tell me that's an apple. It does. I mean, there's definitely a fine line um, when it comes to artificial intelligence and, what is possible. And one of the examples that I used in another class for ag advertising is uh, I had taken a photo of 
one of the boys and he was wearing a pioneer hat, but the photo didn't even have the entire pioneer logo in it. And pioneer must be one of the, I think they're ahead of the game when it comes to ad corporations and advertising, because what happened was they're using artificial intelligence. So after that photo was taken, even though I didn't have the whole logo there, I was inundated with ads from Pioneer. Mm-hmm. And that's been uh, going on for a while, and we just didn't really right. know it. I, I want to echo Sean McFarland's sentiments. I never go to the self-checkout line. I go make oh. somebody help me. I will wait in line because I don't want to do that self-checkout thing. Because you always end those... up having to get a person to help you anyway because it yeah, never works right. right. So what's yeah. the point? Uh, Kristen, kind of following up on what Jenny said, this summer when I was on the Arise USA tour, we had a, a beautiful stop in Northern California at a PMA Produce Market Association, which to me is the future of food distribution where people become members of a club. And I could see where your place could be that PMA. Is there any movement in Ohio? Are you familiar with this? Or, or what do you see happening in terms of grocery distribution in the future? So I have heard of that in California. I don't know of anything like that happening right now in Ohio. I do know that there are, um, in our area, lots of auctions where people go and buy produce. And then there are some auction houses, um, big ones in the Northeast Ohio region and in the Columbus region that buy food from local farmers and then they distribute it out. So there's a lot of co-ops in Ohio, Um, the Ohio Marketing um, association actually where, um, which is now fresh forward, I think is the name of it now. Um, but they, um, work with a big group of apple farmers, um, small and bigger. Um, and then they pull those apples together to fulfill orders for local grocery stores. So like Heinen's, the grocery store mm-hmm. that I was just at, um, we actually have a Bachman's apple orchard right in the town that I grew up in, uh, Carroll, Ohio. Um, they're a member of that co-op. And um, so are smaller orchards. So they can they can pull together apples that meet USDA standards um, and sell to these bigger grocery stores. Heinen's has 25 grocery stores. So they're still a smaller grocery store chain started by two brothers. Um, and it's a wonderful, it's just a fun grocery store. They really connect the food with their customer. I would say it's a little higher end grocery store, um, but they utilize that program so they can support the big growers, but yes, they can also support the lower growers as well and supply their customer with a consistent quality supply, uh, which is very important to them. Uh, Kristen, if you would just expand upon something <laughs> you brought up and, and that is, I, I could tell you frontwards and backwards what the USDA thinks is necessary for a HACCP program and taking a live animal to distributing bacon to people. I couldn't tell you the first thing about what the USDA says you need to do to make an apple from the tree to a, a, somebody's grocery store shelf. So this is a great question because you have the USDA standard. And in Hyden's case, they want to be far above that standard. So they inspect every box of apples that comes in. So when the apple is harvested from the tree, um, it gets processed, which means it gets a light wash. Sometimes it gets a barcode on the apple, depending on who it's going to. Um, it'll be looked at by hand, packaged, and then within a day's time at the grocery store warehouse, in this case, Heinen's Warehouse supplies the 25 stores, even into Chicago area. Um, so within two to three days, that apple has been harvested from the tree and is in the grocery store. So it's super fresh, but they like to say that their standard 
is way higher than the USDA standard. So they open the boxes, they look at the apples. Um, there's things called seconds. I learned this. Those are the apples that might not uh, be as perfect as other apples. And um, they're looking for bruises or nicks, um, splits in the apples. They really want a nice, perfect apple to sell to their customer. Do what, they what scan do they do the, the apples? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <coughs> what do they do with those that they pull out that you'll call seconds? Oh, so this is a great story. Story. Um, they could either return it to the grower or they could donate it to the local food pantry. And that's what Heinen's do, does. They partner with the Greater Columbus Food Pantry, the Greater Cleveland Area, excuse me, food pantry, and all that gets donated. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, that is <laughs> very interesting. Do they get scanned? Um, some of the places that I've toured out in California in the citrus industry, <laughs> the, the actual orange or lemon or grapefruit can be scanned and the level of sweetness or tartness is measured. I don't know. Yeah, it was, yeah, crazy. <coughs> well, Kristen, we're going to let you get uh, recouped there and the water will take care of that. I have to remind you that Lone Creek Cattle Company providing somewhat of a regional supply. Well, I say somewhat of a regional supply because cattlemen in the Great Plains of America can be a part of the supply chain, but certified Piedmontese is available around the world. It's all about capturing the added value to you, the producer. We've already had somebody talking today in the comment section about the eight to $900 profit margins from the packer standpoint. You, the producer, need to get closer to the consumer. That's exactly what Kristen's doing with her family, and you can do the same thing in the cattle business. Certified Piedmontese paving the way for a better future at your place. Details at LoneCreekCattleCo.com. That's LoneCreekCattleCo.com. We'll take a break. We'll be back with the second half of Roar Out. Just ahead. Welcome back. Roar Out. Trent Luce alongside... Kristen Patterson driving down the road, Jenny Schweiger ready to inform young minds. Uh, okay, so back to my other question. I understand giving that to the food pantry. I understand where that would be appreciated. How many times do those retailers say, okay, because I'm thinking it happens more than not. Producer, you take these seconds back, and then what do you do with them? So they offer that to the, the grower. And a lot of times the grower is the one that says, you know, we don't want to haul this back. Just go ahead and, and, and donate it. Um, so, but to speak to that is that, especially like in this grocery store situation, they have long standing relationships with their growers. So they are working with growers that they know have the standards that they expect. And they've had this relationship for a long time. So that the understanding of what they expect to get into the store um, is pretty high and it's pretty well received. So they would say that they don't actually have to return that many, that they, their partnership with those growers is, is good enough that they know and expect what they want to see on their shelves and coming through that, that back warehouse. So and do you on farm? Seconds. seconds are not bad. Seconds are not bad right. at all. Seconds yeah. are uh, like, I make, I cut it out and I'm like, okay, cause you eat this or I make applesauce or you make pies. So um, really the product is, is still fine. And it could be that that's just a product like we, in our market, we expect to have the same, the same quality. So oftentimes our seconds would be what people would sell as first. So we really want that premium product for our customer. Yeah. That's what I was going to add is the ones that are cut out are the ones that we would eat at home to begin with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they would probably yeah. look better than the apple that you're growing on your tree in your backyard as well. So 
um, it's still a great product. So do you have a process on farm for quality assurance? So we do. We actually just had our USDA inspection last Friday. So uh, we can all sigh a little relief. But um, we are inspected by the state, by the county, and then by the federal government as well. Um, so the apples are, we have um, some gentlemen that um, are part of the H2A program that work for us. And they've worked, the same guys have worked for us for about 25 years. And some of their sons have come back. So they will help harvest the apples from the tree. They go on to the truck. We pick into bins. And then they come into the back of our market. And this would be very similarly to what would be happening on larger scales too. And then they go into our greater tank. They get submerged in water and they make their way up the grading belt. And then they get a little uh, scrub and then they get a little dry. And then they go to the grader and it's graded on size, um, how they're sorted out in the grader because you want a uniform apple too, right? Everybody wants that same size. And so then we package them by hand and our graders, um, we have a wonderful staff at our, at our fruit farm. They, they package those apples by hand. So they're looking at the apple to make sure that it doesn't have any dings or bruises and anything that does would go into seconds. And then also you, you guys are going to laugh about this. I did too, but people buy apples to feed to their deer. And so, or for deer plot or just to feed their deer, they like to have deer come into their backyard um, we are a kind of a bedroom community to a very, um, it's not a farm community at all. And so they like their wildlife. And so they buy deer apples to feed to their, so nothing goes to waste. And then we break it down even further. And some of our apples go into our cider business. And um, we actually wholesale our cider to the Heinen's grocery store that I was just mentioning. Interesting. So- uh, back to the people handling apples. It seems like there's a lot of interaction with people and, and the food. Has there been any change or backup or hesitation in, with the events of the past 18 months to try to automate more of that? Yeah. So I think, you know, we weren't aware that when you touched food, that wasn't how COVID was transmitted. You know, we were a lot more careful. You know, obviously we were masking, we were gloving, we were disinfecting like far more than we ever had before. Just really trying to maintain um, that safety for our customer and for our employees and for ourselves. And so we, um, not really too much has changed now. I think we're pretty much back to normal um, as far as all that goes. But I I think there were some good things that came out of COVID, just making sure that, you know, that our um, farm is is an example for people. They can come, they can see the apples being graded. Um, Really just on the forefront of making sure that our standards, again, are higher um, than anyone else's just because we want that customer to feel safe, feel good about their food, ask us questions and be able to answer those questions. Uh, I want to challenge you a bit because I just drove to Maryland and back three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems to me that Ohio, excuse me, has as many additional restrictions right now as any state I drove in. And I'm including restaurants because there were restaurants that were only open at the drive-thru. Maybe that's just a factor of labor, but Ohio was the most restrictive state I traveled through. So Hmm. we can talk labor because it's interesting. My family actually owns a couple restaurants as well. And finding workers is tough. And I don't know that it's from, you'll have some restaurants um, and grocery stores or businesses that may require masking in the city of Columbus. Now the mayor mandated masks again. Um, so people in the city of Columbus have to wear masks. Um, our governor did issue a mask mandate a while ago. He is obviously that has been pulled. 
Uh, it's a hot issue for schools. Do they wear masks? Do they not wear masks? Uh, Northeast Ohio is a little more liberal of an area. So when you were passing through Maryland, you probably got to experience some of that. But I would say that eight times out of 10, the reason restaurants are having the thing problems they're having is because of laborers. Uh, workers is a really hard yeah. thing for us across the board in Ohio. I have a student who America to get back to work. Yes. I mean, I have a student who works very late because there just aren't enough workers there and then stays up to do their homework and then comes to school the next day. And it, I, I hadn't really thought about that reaction that that would be affecting our students in that way. But for definitely sure. they're, they're willing we need to, to work. Back. I mean, the, Ohio had some interesting labor uh, or I guess payment plans for people who were unemployed and some benefits really to stay on unemployment, uh, which has really affected small business in Ohio. Everywhere, I think. Everywhere. Kristen, are you getting a call? I think she went mute on us for some reason. Uh, maybe it's the spot she's in, Jenny. Are you there? Okay, yeah. there she's back. There we All hear right. you. There we Technology hear you. at its finest. So, Kristen, something you are just awesome at, I don't know if I know anyone else that is quite um, the connecting extraordinaire Should as you are. Oh. You are. <laughs> I was nervous. I had my finger on the button, all. Kristen. I was ready. <laughs> She, I mean, we've gone to, I put on Facebook, I'm not sure if I put it on Instagram or not. I forgot that story. That that picture brought back such good memories. Yeah, I mean, this week I've just, yeah, I've just really been indulging into all the the pictures on one of the trips that we took. Um, We decided to go early before a work function and our bucket list item was to go to Switzerland. So we went to Switzerland. Um, very interesting. I mean, we were pretty much, ah, we lost her. Uh, she'll know the story, so she'll catch up when she gets So back. we were backpacking across Europe. We really didn't have a set plan. When we left, we knew kind of where we wanted to go, um, and we had one hotel reservation. And we would go through the train stations and I mean, she would just start talking with anyone and everyone. And we came upon this, this older lady who was in traditional, um, Switzerland guard. I mean, her, she just, she had this beautiful dress on and very, very intricate, um, embroidery. And, um, I mean, it just looked like, um, the book Heidi. Oh, that clears it up for me. <laughs> you didn't read Heidi. To well, of your course, I didn't read Heidi. Daughters. No. So, um, I it's it was just beautiful, and I I can't give you a picture right now, but there is a picture on Facebook. There she is. Yeah. I am, and so, so sorry. she was. She was like, I have got to get a picture. I've got to get a picture with this lady. And she just, you know, strolls well, up and starts talking. But, and- but anybody in Switzerland who's standing in their 
uh, authentic garb is she's there to take a picture with people like you. So Not- she was actually interesting. She dressed in traditional Swiss wear. And Jenny, do you remember where she was headed? I think she was headed to a family function um, on the train. Yeah. And she was just a genuine old fashioned um, Swiss grandma. And that was, she was the kindest yeah. woman. And so she talked and entertained all my questions that I had for her, where she lived. And she lived on a very small farm. And that was her. She was not like a prop. She was not like there. She was just a grandma no. traveling to a family of family function. Um, so there's just something. Switzerland was kind of a magical place. It was just delightful. It is. But I appreciate yes. that comment, Jenny. Very much so. I... Uh, I love talking to people and I love um, hearing the stories and I like learning from people and their situations, things they experience. And I just love learning about. Jenny, we're going to give her another minute to get out of that. Agriculture, especially ones that I. Uh, Jenny, we're going to give her a minute to get out of that spot because we're one minute away from taking a break. I just want you to give us a recap on what school has been like since you're now teaching and sitting on the other side. Um, It's, I mean, it's interesting. Um, You know, we're very, um, because of our state and the state mandates, um, I didn't realize how much work is being placed on the administrators um, for testing for teachers like myself who cannot get vaccinated. Um, so I have to be tested once a week, but to actually go out and hire the lab to come in and to do the testing weekly. Um, when that was put, that mandate was put into place, they gave, I think, seven days for the school mm-hmm. to, or all schools to like comply to this. And it was just nearly impossible because then you have back orders of testing and you've got then the decision, do you do the nasal test? Do you do, um, I guess there's a, a test with saliva that is now available, but on back order, um, it, it's been interesting, the pressures that I'm seeing placed on administrators and teachers. Yeah. And all, all, we, which by the way, takes away time and energy from doing what you're supposed to be doing there teaching kids about history so we don't make the same stupid mistakes or in Jenny's case about FFA and growing your own food. We'll take a break. We'll be back. We'll get Kristen hooked back up. We'll be back with the final segment. Roll out after this. Welcome back. Roll out. Trent Luce alongside Kristen Patterson who got through her bad spot in Ohio. Jenny Swagger. She's still in her bad spot dealing with bureaucrats instead of teaching kids and that oh maybe maybe kristen isn't in a great spot yet you know it it's i I am fearful i said this over the break i'm fearful that we are in the education system going to end up being kind of like healthcare is right now in a shortage of teachers because of and administrators probably more so than teachers um like our superintendent, he started his role. He was our one of our principals 
Um, but he started his role as the superintendent the year COVID hit. So the fall of 19 um, was when he, you right. know, took his job. And most of his job has been focused on COVID precautions, COVID reactions, dealing with our community, um, which our community, there have been conflicts. But from what I understand and talking to other folks around our state, what we're dealing with here is actually very minimal to other school districts who have been told to call the police in certain situations. Hmm. Kristen, how are you doing? I am good. You know, I pulled over at a gas station because I didn't want to interrupt this anymore. <laughs> so oh, I'm, we're minutes away from farm science review. So it's fine. All right. Well, we're minutes away from being done. Uh, I want to get back to something that you brought up. Not that I want to leave Jenny's discussion because I think it's big, but I don't want to have that while you're here, Kristen, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, she's got and, good stuff. Yeah. I'm trying to get my mind around 45,000 people coming to my farm every fall in mm-hmm. a period of probably what 60 maybe 90 six days weeks. at the most six, six yeah. weeks that just uh, that's a manageable how do you manage that it is so interestingly enough bill and his brother uh took over the farm from their their parents and so they say dave grows it and bill sells it that's kind of how they separate bill runs the market and then his brother Dave and his wife Pam run the family fun fest. It's called the Patterson family fun fest. So they manage that fun fest. And I will say it is quite impressive. Um, it's a very large outdoor area spread out over many, many, many acres that kids can come and play. But a lot of them are school tours that are scheduled. And then just people in the surrounding areas coming and playing. And um, so we have lots of fields that are for parking. Um, but then we have lots of spaces for outdoor play. And it really is impressive, the job that they do, um, just managing the people, keeping everybody safe through COVID. We were able to stay open. Um, everything was just scaled way back. So we are very much looking forward to a, a normal season. Um, it's open right now. And um, we're really just ready for the community to come back and, and play and learn about agriculture. And the best part is they oftentimes don't even know they're learning about it um, while they're playing. Yeah. So that's the best part. Uh- I don't want you to give uh, private details, but it has to be profitable to be able to do that, just to have people come. You can't just do it as a a community service. Right. So, no, it is a ticketed event. So we charge um, for each um, person, unless you're under two, then you can come for free. But there is a senior charge, an adult charge, and then a child charge. So it it is something that they pay for. We do work with different community organizations to bring in. Um, some school children groups at a much discounted rate um, in preschools and things like that on tours. Um, but it is that, you know, we are a farm and I think it's okay to say that farms are for profit. We have to make a living too. Um, right. But with all of those um, rewards, a lot of high risk. I mean, we're inviting a lot of people to our farm um, to play. And so, you know, we have to be really careful with safety as well. So that's a, a high priority for our family as well. But the interesting thing is that um, the Patterson family has wanted to be able to bring that next generation back to the farm. And so they've done that by finding different avenues that they can expand um, to hopefully bring even the next generation back to the farm um, when Bill and his brother um, and myself retire and um, let that next group take over. I would imagine the insurance premiums are probably hefty when it comes to having 45,000 people come to your farm. Yeah. Um, and just that's having just the, the fun fest. Yeah. 
<clears throat> oh, true, it true, right. So yeah, right. that's just the fun yeah. part. The market is totally. Uh, separate. Oh no, I'm sure um, Farm Bureau Insurance has got this one covered, Jenny. No problems. So we actually partner with Nationwide Insurance. So, oh, nice. Uh, Nationwide. We'll give them a little plug. Nationwide is on our side. So uh, they have a great partnership with the Patterson family and many other farmers in the state of Ohio. So we are very grateful that they are willing to uh, keep us protected and keep our customers you know, having a great time making memories. And that's what it's all about. It's about making those memories with their family, which in turn make memories for our family as well. So, Kristen, I like to have this discussion. I don't want to go too far in the weeds because it can get pretty in-depth. But there are so many people that have, for the last 20 years, talked about agritourism is the answer. Mm -hmm. Agritourism (laughs) is, in my mind, a wonderful diversification to uh, seek an additional profit center to an operation. But if you're not growing corn to cut that maize and the corn isn't profitable – you, you can't rely on agritourism to sustain any farming operation. It has to be about producing food, fiber, pharmaceuticals, and fuel first, and then possibly add to the portfolio, if I can use a word that doesn't really fit in my vocabulary, mm-hmm. add to the portfolio by having additional revenue supplies. And then you have the whole educational aspect that comes along with it because 45,000 people got to see, taste, and experience part of their food-growing business. How does that hit you? So interestingly enough, another fun fact is that, you know, you, I came into this family and, you know, I'm like, oh, you see things. You're like, oh, this would be a great idea. What are you farmers doing in the back seat? You got to calm down. I think they're like itching to get the farm sense revealed. Um, they know what works. And I will say my father-in-law and um, both of the brothers, they really have a good insight to what works and what could be expand, what could we do. Um, they're one of the largest um long lasting farm markets and agritourism in Ohio, they kind of led the way that direction. So there's a lot of things that don't work. And if you just think we're going to set up shop and we're going to, we're going to open this play area. I mean, it really has been well thought out. They've done a lot of the same things for a lot of years. They focused on young children, not bringing in older groups. Really our fun fest is geared towards ages 10 and under. Um, Really. um, I think they just have a good insight to what works and you're exactly right. This was just an expansion of one area and um, really not expanding too far too fast is very important when you're thinking about something so complex like this. And it's interesting because she has a background or a relationship prior to becoming part of the family. And so you've seen it from both sides. Yeah, for sure. So I did a little bit of work for them. And then I've known Bill's parents longer than I've known Bill because she, Nancy, his mom was on the Ohio Exposition Commission, which is an appointed position um, to the Ohio State Fair. Basically, it's the State Fair Board. So Nancy was a person that I very much looked up to. You know, they were people I didn't even know what they did, but gave back to um, 4-H members. They gave back to kid organizations. And that's how I I met them. And that's what I knew of them. And then to hear what they actually did on their farm um, later on as I was going through college was really um, really fascinating to me that they do give back to the community so much that giving back component to their family is very important. Um, and, and volunteer leadership, like the Farm Bureau and like different organizations in the community, um, really it's the whole package coming together that I think has made their family business very successful. But that's not to be without trial. They've tried things. They haven't worked. They start over. Um, so like any farmer, we've made mistakes. You know, we learn from them and we move forward to become better. Have the questions changed when people come to the farmer's market to buy products in the last five years? 
So we do get the organic question a lot. Are these apples organic? We are not organic. So that question still remains. Um, I think people just want to know where their food comes from. Like, where did this come from? Oh, it came from um, an Amish farm in Northeast Ohio. They're great with that. I think they just want to know, especially since we added meat to the market, um, the same questions we hear, we've heard all before, is that, are they grain fed or grass fed? Um, so I don't think over time the questions have changed at all. It's just still those things people want to know that they should know that we just have not done a good job of communicating um, to the public about where their food comes from. So you, you just said something there that I think I did not understand private, uh, previously. Not all of the products you sell in your farm market, you grow yourself. You have some cooperator growers. We do. We could never supply our customer with everything that we grow on our farm. We actually don't grow vegetables at all. So we partner with local growers to sell their vegetables in our farm market. Um, and I didn't know that. That was something I learned um, when I joined the family, that we support other local small business owners in our market. And that's really important to the family as a whole is that what we can't grow, we know we're not good at it. We've tried it maybe and it didn't work. So we want to go to a grower, support their business model and bring their product into the grocery store. Everything we sell in our market, which is a year round market, we say it's not a farmer's market. You know, there's that conception that a farm market is a farmer's market. Um, and when they go to a farm market, they automatically assume everything's organic, even if there's no sign. So those are some of the things we work through. Um, but, but supporting other local businesses is very important. We also have a bakery. We make pies. We make donuts. We have apple fritters. So it's like this whole one-stop shop that I am still learning. <laughs> Go check out their Instagram feed. Oh, my gosh. You will be starting. Yeah, so it's Patterson Farm, um, Patterson Fruit Farm at pattersonfarms.com. You can kind of visit the farm and see. Um, so if you're ever in Ohio in the fall or year-round, it's, it's a fun place to stop. As it would turn out, I'm headed to Holmes County, Ohio next week. You're very might, close. You should I, come see us. I think I might have to do that. That would be fun. Bill will be yes. in Washington, D.C. with Farm Bureau, but I will be there. So I'd be happy to tour you. Well, I could get like an apple fritter or apple pie with oh, ice cream, right? You No, we don't do ice cream in the fall. Uh, that's only summertime. Oh, then I'm yes, not you coming. you can get an apple fritter. I'm simply not uh, coming. You might want to. No ice cream, I no can, Trent. <laughs> I can uh, work a warm donut, which a warm blueberry donut, there's not much better. <laughs> okay, I have one final question, and uh, this, this has to be a perception. Uh, from a financial health what do you feel like the small business, small farmer in your region, the people you work with in Ohio is like currently? So I think small businesses in Northeast Ohio have been blessed um, by the COVID situation because it has really made people, they go to the grocery store, shelves are empty. It's made people um, want to shop more locally in our area. We um, saw a huge surge in customers um, during the COVID season. So we really had to step up be prepared, follow all the state guidelines and be able to stay open because we were deemed essential. And so I think most small businesses, minus the restaurant association, the restaurant people have been hit extremely hard, um, have yeah. really learned a lot from COVID. And we've been seeing a lot of benefits other than labor being a little difficult. I think most smaller businesses have really been blessed through all of this. Couldn't you go to Heinen's and get like a gallon of ice cream before I come? <laughs> I will make sure. You know, we have some really good ice cream shops in our area. So I will make sure you have ice cream with your apple fritter. All right. I'll be there next week. 
John Bowen will be good. along, by the way. We're traveling together next week. So sorry, Jenny, you got to teach school. We have successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America for Christian Patterson, Jenny Sperger, Trent Luce. All three of us remind you that all roads do lead to an apple free rural route. No, I mean apple plenty. I was going to say that's not right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>